Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. It's Fizz Radio. Matt Bonaparte and Brad Klein with you on this wonderful Saturday morning. Brad, we're going to talk about Syracuse lax. We're going to play a little SU football game. We'll get to our five-star review, our fictional Fizz, our Fizz feedback. We've got it all here on Orange Fizz Radio this wonderful Saturday morning. Brad, are you amped? I'm amped. This is my first ever Fizz Radio with the one and only Matty Bone. So I'm excited. Yeah, this is our first one Uncharted together, Brad. Territory. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty exciting thing. Uh, but to kick off the show, we're talking SU Lax. Obviously, the news there is that Gary Gate has just taken the reins from John Desco on the men's program. Gate, obviously, played at SU from 1987 to 1990, widely regarded as one of the greatest to play in Orange, one of the greatest to play the sport. He coached teams to championships in the National Lacrosse League, just coached Syracuse Women's Lax to the National Championship game, a loss to BC this past season. But now... He's got the men's reins after a pretty tough season at the men's program. Yeah, and it's actually it's pretty crazy because everyone that covers the program and is close to the program, we all kind of talked about this possibility facetiously. We didn't actually think it would happen. Certainly didn't think it was going to happen at happen all. This year. But no, I, I didn't really think it would happen this year. I just said if there will be a change, I didn't think there would be a change. If there is a change, I think it makes sense. Not that it's going to happen. But it makes sense. And it happened, and it makes sense. That's why it happened. And and I wrote an article about this on the Fizz, orangefizz.net, and it, it's entitled, Why Should You Care About Lacrosse Right Now? And the bottom line is, we don't talk about lacrosse much, if at all, and now we're talking about it a lot. And it's because this is a big deal. Gary Gate coming back to Syracuse, it's like Jordan coming back to coach the Bulls, right? Because you mentioned it, he's one of the GOATs, probably the GOAT, in the sport of lacrosse, not just Syracuse, and for a team that's kind of hit a lull, both on the field and on the recruiting trail, I can't think of anyone else that's more qualified to lead this program. And I think we can't really understate the career Desco had at Syracuse. He played for the program from 1976 to 79, then stayed there as an assistant from 1980 to 1998, was an assistant for 18 years, and then took over the head coaching job in 1999, coached the team to five national championships, is a Hall of Famer. Desco with a wonderful career, but at the end, a tough season guy, you know, there was a lot of of conversation talking about, is Desco really the guy for the job still? And it looks like... His retirement says no, he really wasn't. And now Gate is hoping to take the talent that he kind of conjured up in the women's program and bring his expertise and and just wise capabilities over to the men's side. Right, but Bones, let's translate this for the people that don't really understand or even care about lacrosse, just to be frank. John Desco retiring, it's like another Syracuse coach retiring. It's like Jim Beheim retired. That's what it's like. Yeah, it is. He's an absolute legend. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And coming, Starting as a player, taking the Orange as an All-American to their first ever na- rather national tournament, as John Desco did, as Jim Beheim helped Syracuse do as a player, then as an assistant, won six natties as an assistant, and then as a head coach. It's a big deal. It's the end of a large and, and fruitful era, we'll say. 
Yeah, and I think it's important that we dive in a little bit and talk about why this change occurred. John Desco retires at a time in which Syracuse is not playing up to the standard that diehard Syracuse lacrosse fans are willing to accept. I mean, this past season, Brad, was not exactly what fans wanted or what fans know this program to be. Of course, they made the the NCAA tournament, but they played an awful game that you and I both were in attendance for <laughs> against Georgetown, 18-8. to That was an absolutely terrible yeah, the campus performance. Was nice, though. Campus was nice. A beautiful Maryland campus. you got to love it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, a season, a tumultuous season. You had the Chase Scanlon debacle that was yeah. just really brutal for the program as a whole, and Desco especially. And on the other side, you see Gaten and the women going to a national championship. It's got to be a little bit hard to not want him for the program at that point. Yeah, it is hard. And look, we can talk about if Desco actually retired. The university says he retired. All I know is three days before that dreaded Georgetown game, he said he wanted to be back if Syracuse wanted him back. And then, And then he Absolutely. retired. That's all I know. Um, and, we, and we could talk about that, but we'll, we'll just leave it there. I think... The biggest thing right now is we have to acknowledge that John Desco was not qualified, never was, and never would be qualified to lead Syracuse this year. And look, Syracuse moved on. He moved on because of the failure of this year. And let's call it what it is. It was a failure. They came into this season as what was the number one team in the country last year. They were expecting to win a national championship. And at the very least, go to Memorial Day weekend, and what do they get? A first-round exit. And I think it's because you mentioned Chase Scanlon, you mentioned COVID, and John Desco did not do the best job handling those things. Bottom line is, he was not expected to handle those things. It's like, it. I'll tell you what it's like, and this is not a political statement, but presidents are judged based on how they deal with certain things, right? No president when they are elected, is elected based on his or her knowledge of nuclear war. But if there's a nuclear war, the president will be judged on how he or she handled the nuclear war. John Desco is not expected or qualified to handle a Chase Scanlon situation. And yet, all the fans, and us at the Fizz, we are judging him based on how he handled the Chase Scanlon situation. Matt Bonaparte and Brad Klein with you on Orange Fizz Radio. Brad, I... I understand your analogy, and I think you're you're pretty much on the nose with it. Desco was never prepared to deal with a situation like this, yet everybody jumped right on him when he didn't handle it all that well. That's kind of up for your interpretation, I suppose, but I, I think in our eyes, it really... The program looked pretty bad for a couple, a couple of weeks there, and still does. Um, this was an awful situation in which Scanlon was, you know... Uh, the team wouldn't practice with him. He was dragged out of Manly Fieldhouse. It was a brutal situation. And Desco, I just feel, was kind of shocked by it all and, and didn't really know what to do. And that did make him look bad in the end. Yeah, yeah, it, it did. And, and now Gary Gate comes in with, I, I guess, the, the calm, before, calm after the storm, I guess you could say. He's actually dealt a pretty good hand because his the expectations, I think, around the program are pretty low considering what we have. What we have is, like I said, Jordan coming back to coach the Bulls, one of the best programs of all time. And yet, I think if Gary Gate makes it to the second round this coming year, that will be considered a success. 
So let's move into what that means for the women's program. Now there's a hole in the women's program. They do not have a head coach as of right now. There were some whisperings and thoughts. A lot of people were calling for Kayla Trainer to take the job after Gate left for the men's program. Trainer, of course, played for Syracuse in the early 2010s, 2013 to 2016. She was a first-team All-American in all four years she played, regarded as the best women's in women's lax history at Syracuse. She's an absolutely incredible player, but here's the thing. She's only 27 years old. Brad and she declined the offer that Syracuse gave her yeah that's, so that's I think she about. knew yeah I think she knew and everybody else kind of knew that not that she couldn't handle the job but maybe she wasn't ready for that kind of job at 27 years old uh, of course she's one of the greatest players ever to live she was incredible at Syracuse she has an incredible legacy here and maybe she'll take that job one day but that time wasn't now yeah, there's a lot to learn as an assistant coach. Even Gary Gate, who we talk about as the GOAT of lacrosse, he spent he won seven national titles at Maryland as an assistant. I think he spent 10 years as an assistant coach. And Kayla Trainer is still looking for that, and that experience. Tip your cap to Trainer for being so mature at such a young age, at just 27, realizing, okay, yeah, I, I might have a good time, and, and they want me, but I don't know if I'm right for it just yet. So that's pretty impressive. To me, it opens up a window for Caitlin DeFleece, who maybe even should have had it over Trainer if Trainer hadn't declined the job or really just taken her hat out of the ring for it. I don't think she was ever offered the job to decline. But Caitlin DeFleece has been leading one of the best defenses in the country the past few years. They were number one in the nation last season in the shortened season and top 15 this year. DeFleece has to stay in the program, and I think the only way to do that is to make her the head coach. Yeah, I think that's a decent shout. Um, for me, I'm looking for for Joe Spelina down at Stony Brook. I mean, this guy has has made Stony Brook women's lacrosse and into an absolute powerhouse since he he joined the program in 2011. A conference tournament champion every single year from 2013 up until this last season, 2021. And they've made the NCAA tournament every single one of those years. He's the winningest coach in program history over there. Joe Spelina in my opinion, just absolutely is the guy if you want to go uh, and, and try and find somebody elsewhere. But I do think DeFleece is is your your person if you want to stay in-house. The other one I thought about was Rick Beardsley, a great defense defenseman in his time in the 90s with the Orange. Probably one of the wants to be on the men's staff. I know you think that, Brad, and you're probably right. But now there's precedent to go from the women's team to the men's team with Gary Gate moving over there. So maybe... Uh, that provides some kind of bridge for him. He was a first-team All-American with the Orange. He was a captain, a leader. Uh, I, I could definitely see him with that job as well. So, Bones, I'm interested in this. I want to talk about Joey Spelina for a second. I know we're up against it, so we'll make it quick. Why do you think that he's the guy for the program when the job he did at Stony Brook is so different from the job he would be asked to do at Syracuse? He's been asked to start a program at Stony Brook and at Syracuse. They were runner-ups, runners-up this year. All he has to do is well, pick up where they left off. Well, you know he can do it. Is my point. He wouldn't. I don't like. He wouldn't have to start the program here. He could pick up where where Gate left off and probably win a couple of championships. That's what I think. See, but that's the thing is that you move on from Gary Gate and and look, Gary Gate moved on from you. The women's program would have loved yes, to have absolutely. Gary Gate back. But while you're at it, you might as well if you're going to hire externally, you might as well go get someone with some experience and what it feels like to win a national championship, if that's your goal. That's a fair point. If that's your goal. That's and a fair Rick point. Rick Beardsley's not going to give that to you. Joey Spelina's not going to give that to you. 
All right, I like where your, your head's at, Brad. I, I can... I, I guess we'll agree to disagree there, but I, I do like... I, I think that Spolina or Beardsley could get that job done, even though they hadn't done it before. Especially Spolina, who's who's used to winning, maybe not national championships, but being the winningest coach in program history does mean something to me. I don't know if it does to you. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And I'm sure you do a good job. Uh, I'm just team DeFleece right now. That's all. All right, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk SU football. Stay locked on the score 1260. Matt Bonaparte and Brad Klein back with you on Orange Fizz Radio. Brad, it is time to talk some SU football. We got SU Lax out of the way, now coming to the upcoming season, which is Syracuse football. Of course, just one win last year, not exactly what Orange fans wanted. We're going to play a little bit of a game, stock up, stock down. We got three players from the offensive side of the ball, three players from the defensive side of the ball. We'll decide if they're going to be better next season, the same, or worse next season Let's go. First one, on the offense, Sean Tucker, of course, had a breakout season as a freshman this past year. Do you think he'll be better, the same, or worse next season? I'm going stock up. I think he's going to be better this season, which is going to be a pretty impressive year considering he had over four and a half yards per attempt last season behind that garbage offensive line as a true freshman. So in reality, on paper, there's no reason that Sean Tucker should have a good year. He doesn't have a good quarterback next to him. We don't even know who that's going to be. And he has a terrible offensive line in front of him, and yet he was still successful last year. So I say stock up on the sophomore, Sean Tucker. I think that he's going to be, like, just the same. I just don't think that, like what you mentioned, uh, an inexperienced quarterback, if you have Garrett Schrader or one of the freshmen there, or a bad one if Tommy DeVito's there, and and a poor offensive line... I just don't see him getting all that much better. Of course, you get better with more experience, but Sean Tucker, you're really vulnerable, especially when Dino's going to be just shoving the ball in your hands every drive because that's the only kind of offense this team can conjure. I think that Tucker is going to be very good like he was this past year, but I don't see him being all that much better without any pieces around him. I will say this, though, Bones. The big factors here, because I think he will be better, does, that does not mean he'll be more effective because his snaps will go down naturally. Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard are both True. coming back. So Good point. Sean Tucker, he might even be RB3 right now. That's the crazy thing no to way. think about. So I think not he will chance. be better. Not necessarily. I think he will be better does not mean his stats will be better. I don't see Jarvion Howard or Abdul Adams giving him any kind of run for his money. Sean Tucker was stupid good last year, and those two were absent. Um, All right, on to our second offensive player. You've got Tommy DeVito. Last year, of course, he had that terrible injury that knocked him out for for more than half the season. Do you think he'll be better or worse next year? Yeah, Jersey strong, Tommy DeVito, and this is his final season. I'm going to go stock up, and it pains me to do that because he was just dreadful last season. 20 sacks, that's five per game. And... My only, my main logic here is I don't think he can play much worse, right? Four touchdowns, two interceptions, and again, five sacks per game. Doesn't mean he's going to be good. And again, I think a lot of it comes down to playing time because like we alluded to, could be Garrett Schrader, could be the sophomores coming in, or Dylan Markowitz, Jacoby and Morgan. They both have bids to start. 
And then I'm even hearing some chirps for Justin Lamps and the true freshman. So I don't know. I think he will start the year, but I think his leash is going to be very short. And we'll see how mentally he reacts to a lot of quarterbacks in that room breathing down his neck. Yeah, and we'll get to the leash conversation in, in uh, a couple of blocks from now when we get to Fizz feedback. But you're right. I think that there's really no room beneath where he played last season. So I think you have to say stock up, even if he just walks onto the field and doesn't throw an interception. I mean, he was terrible last season. Just not at all what you want out of a junior quarterback. Now a senior quarterback, will we see him be better? I don't know. But I think even him being benched is, is better than what he played last season. So oh. you, know, you, you, can only, you can only go up, Tommy. You can really only go up. All right, that uh, all right. answers my question. But real quick, who do you want to start at quarterback week one? Garrett Schrader. Okay. I will take Garrett Schrader all day over Tommy DeVito. I don't know about you. I'm a little I'm a little team Markowitz here. I know a lot of people are okay. not hot on that. I like Jacoby and Morgan go. over Dylan Markowitz. All right. Anybody but Tommy DeVito, really. All right, <laughs> on to our third offensive player. The wide receiver who flipped off of camera last year, Taj Harris. Is he going to be better, the same, or worse, Brad? Bones, it's stock down on Taj Harris. He's going to be worse. He's going to take a step back. He had a career high, nearly six receptions per game. The usage was high. Problem is, Taj Harris needs one quarterback. Every receiver needs one quarterback to build up that chemistry, to build up that timing. And it was impressive that he was able to do it with Culpepper, DeVito, and Morgan last season. But Taj Harris right now is quivering in the corner saying, hey, guys, who's going to step up? Who's going to be the quarterback? Is it going to be Justin, Garrett, Jacoby, and Dylan, Tommy? Anyone, someone just take the job. And I kind of think it's going to be quarterback by committee this year, just based on no one's really the guy, so everyone has to be the guy. So for that reason, I think Taj Harris might have a tough time. Well, I don't know if you go on Twitter all that often, Brad, but back on May 26th, Taj made the claim that he would, quote, light up the ACC this season, end quote. So, I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to do that, but I am saying he has confidence in himself that he has that ability, and he didn't have a terrible year last year. 733 receiving yards, five touchdowns. He wasn't awful. He was pretty darn good at times. I think that he could get better, and I think he is going to get better. I'm going to say that it's stock up on Taj Harris. Watch out for him. If he does have a guy who can throw him the ball at a consistent rate, Taj Harris is going to be a solid player. All right, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. First up, Michael Jones. Where do you got him? All right, so let me just go on the record. I'm probably the biggest Michael Jones fan on the Fizz. Are you really? I am. I am. And, and I didn't know that about deal. you. I always thought, from when he came in from IMG Academy, I always thought he was going to be really, really, really good. A, a future pro. I really believe that. Always have, always will. And just to prove to you that this is not just me saying this while he's good, I thought Dennis Smith Jr. was going to be the next Russell Westbrook. So there you go. No, this is my admission. I also thought Trubisky could be really good. He was not. So I'm go- I, when I admit I'm wrong, I'm going to admit when I'm right. And Michael Jones has been proving me right. Team best five quarterback hits last year. Team best four interceptions. And he led the teams in forced fumbles and fumbles recovered. I think Michael Jones is an absolute ball hawk, kind of like Andre Sisco was when he was at Syracuse, completely different positions, just as a nose for the ball. Smart player. And my biggest thing with Jones is that last year, going into the season, if you remember, the biggest question was, is he a leader? Can he step into that leadership role? Well, guess what? 
Right now, he's probably the biggest guarantee on the roster, so that noise is not around him. I like Michael Jones stock up. I could not agree more with you. He was an absolute animal last year, and going into his junior season, I don't think he gets any worse. I think he's going to get a lot better even. Like you mentioned, four fumbles recovered, four fumbles forced, most quarterback hits, four picks. The guy was ridiculous last season, and with that band of young defensive backs behind him, I think he's going to become a huge leader for this team and for this defensive unit as a whole. I think Michael Jones is going to be a household name in Syracuse, and he's going to lead them to some wins because defense wins ball games as we all know and Michael Jones leading this defense is going to be huge for Syracuse I mean I think he's going to be an absolutely sensational player I've got to say stock up on Michael all right let's move back to that defensive unit or defensive back unit like I just mentioned Garrett Williams he was an absolutely crazy good freshman for Syracuse do you think he gets better or worse Brett he's going to be worse I'm going stock down on Garrett Williams and it pains me to say this because I'm a big fan of Garrett Williams but you look around the room and the locker room and Faltu Malafamu's gone, Andre Sisko's gone, Trill Williams gone. And now he's cornerback one. He's going to be guarding the best wideouts in the ACC. And while the ACC wasn't good last year, it's still the ACC. And he's he's a good player. He's not quite ready to guard the, the top wide receiver on any given team, especially the likes of Clemson, for example. So I think Garrett Williams could have a tough time. He's going to take a step back, stop down. You hit the nail on the head right there. Of course he's going to take a step down. I mean, I don't think he faced a number one receiver all season long last year. And sure, he put up good numbers, but when you have Trill Williams, Andre Sisko, and Afatu Melifonwu playing with you, I mean, you're probably going to be pretty solid because you don't have to face anybody that's all that talented. So, yeah, I mean, is he a talented player? For sure. But is he going to get worse? I think absolutely. All right, let's move on to our third and final player, Josh Black, the defensive tackle that really has been here. Has he been here for all of our three years, Brad? <laughs> I mean, I feel like Josh Black. Yeah, this is going to be his sixth I feel like season. Yeah, I feel like he's been a senior for every every year we've been on campus. Is your um, is Perry Ellis. <laughs> I mean, or you could just say Antoine Cordy. Don't forget about Antoine. Yeah, that's fair. Eric um, Foley. Yes. Does Josh Black get better or worse? I'm kind of going to go stock up here, kind of. I, I do think that he could be the same, but I'd like to think that he's going to be better because going into last season in the 3-3-5, if, even though it was a new system, everyone in the program was saying Josh Black is the prototypical defensive end in the 3-3-5. 6'3", 284, perfect frame for the system. And he was not effective, only two sacks in his 11 games. But now he's going into his sixth season in his second year in the system, I kind of expect him to be a man amongst boys, and maybe that's not a fair ex expectation for someone that only had two sacks, but Josh Black came back for a reason, okay? He has an agenda, and at that frame, he knows he can be in the NFL. He has to have a good year, so I think he has a chip on his shoulder, he has a motive, and he has another X's and O's reason to be better, so I'm going to go stock up. Do you remember the, the Liberty game in 2019? Our sophomore year at Syracuse, yep. the the opener, where he had two sacks and he recovered a fumble. Syracuse won that game twenty four to nothing. Nobody could stop talking about the defense. That was that was his peak. That's everything went downhill from there <laughs> for Josh Black. I mean, he he has not been 
nearly that good since. That rest of that season, he had a whole two sacks, so he finished the year with four, and last year had two alone. I don't think Josh Black gets any better this upcoming season. I think he gets worse, and I hate to say it because he is an animal in the gym, and I wish he was great, but he just he just really isn't the guy that you want. All right, Brad, when we come back, we'll get into five-star review, our first one together. Keep it locked on the score 1260. I'm going to need a five-star review. Five-star ride. I'd like to share with you one of our five-star reviews. Hey, five stars. Matt Bonaparte and Brad Klein back with you on Orange Fizz Radio. It's time for five-star review. Brad, this is our first five-star review together. Let's hop right into it. We just talked about some football. Let's continue that thought. Jacoby Spells, an athlete, 5'11", 170 out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is a Syracuse target. He's a four-star, probably going to play defensive back. How huge would he be if Syracuse got him? It'd be a game-changer. It would be probably, potentially... A job-saving move, a job-saving recruit for Dino Babers, potentially. If he goes 1-10, or with one win again this season, I should say, it's going to be hard for John Wildack to keep him, but I actually think this is such a make-it-or-break-it year for Dino that he has to win a few games, maybe even four or five, to salvage his job. So if he can prove to Wildack, hey, I can recruit. You brought me in to recruit. I can do it. This is proof. Then we're talking. But I don't think Jacoby Spell's going to Syracuse either way. Not many do. He's probably going to end up as a Miami Hurricane. But you're right. I think that this could be a uh, job-saving recruit for Dino, especially if you do add him to that defensive backroom that is already so talented and you really bolster that unit. I think that this team could start winning games. This defense could start being respected. And Syracuse, you know, could start being respected as a program a little bit more. All right, let's talk about where they are respected as a program, and that's on the basketball court. Kyle Filipowski is a name that Syracuse fans have been hearing through the recruiting cycle. A four-star recruit, he's 6'11", 230. This guy, talk about a, a game or a, a game-changing recruit. I mean, this is it for Syracuse. Yeah, Filipowski coming in, and, and it's either him or Klingon that Syracuse fans really want. I feel like they're kind of two schools of thought. Filipowski or Klingon, but I don't think either one would make Syracuse fans unhappy because he could step in and in that first visit that he had uh, just a couple days ago with that with the Syracuse staff on campus, saw Whitman, liked Whitman. It was a family atmosphere apparently, but they compared him to Marek Dolajai and, and, and Tyler Lydon. And so there is a precedent. There are players that Syracuse wants him to watch and say, hey, their success could be your success and then some i think it's a pretty good chance there's a pretty good chance that filipowski lands in syracuse only problem is it's the first tour there are a lot more schools that are going to be a lot more fresh in his mind come decision time yeah so on his you know the top five on his list right now consists of syracuse you've got duke on there ohio state's in there iowa as well and they all have visits that are coming down the road so syracuse being that early in the visit cycle could come back to bite them but filipowski would be huge for this team like you mentioned a marek dolajai type a guy who's very tall he's got more meat on the bone than dolajai did and i think he's a little bit more talented maybe than marek was but filipowski coming in and being a part of that 20 
2022 class with Kamari Lands could really change this program and, and put them back on the trajectory they were maybe in the, in the early 2010s. And does it's interesting, it, here, though, Bones, because we're talking a lot about Filipowski, and we're trying to get into his head. We all know that we, we have to talk to Filipowski about this, and we don't know him personally, but it's going to be one of two things when it comes to the recruiting trail and what he's seeing on his tours. Either it's not going to be fresh in his head, Syracuse, and that's going to hurt them, or now that Syracuse is on his radar mentally and he's seen Syracuse, he will be comparing Syracuse to every other tour. So if he sees Iowa, for example, and he's touring Iowa, and for whatever reason he likes the grayness of central New York and the cold and whatever of central New York more than Iowa, he could say, okay, Iowa's nice, but it's no Syracuse. Exactly. And here's my question for you, Brad, uh, and one that I think I'll answer myself. If you get Kyle Filipowski, does that end the ongoing conversation of Syracuse never gets a big man, Syracuse never gets a talented big man, you haven't had one since Rakeem Christmas, does that end that conversation? Not really, because <laughs> you're talking, uh, how can you really end that discussion when he's being compared to Tyler Lydon and Marek Dolajai by the Syracuse staff to quote-unquote centers, but in reality power forwards, that are on that track and are on that dark cloud, under that dark cloud of, oh, well, Syracuse never gets a center. They had to play Tyler Lydon at the five. They had to play Marek Dolajai at the five when they were both wings. So, no, to me, it doesn't make any real difference. I think Klingon is really the true five of the group, and that would end the, de the, de the debate, I should say. But in reality, if you really want to end the debate, it's not lending a recruit, it's hitting on a recruit. And Filipowski, Klingon, if they go to Syracuse, they need to perform well to end that. I agree with you 100% that Filipowski doesn't end that conversation, but Klingon might, as he's more of a traditional big man. But like you said, Filipowski being compared to guys who were shoved into the role that maybe they weren't built for doesn't exactly help his case uh, in that sense. All right, now on to our third topic of five-star review. You're here with Matt Bonaparte and Brad Klein, Coach K. Obviously retiring, as he mentioned uh, and, and announced that he will be leaving Duke after this upcoming season. What does that do to their recruiting game? Duke has been a dominant recruiting force for many, many seasons. In my head, the year that sticks out the most was the Zion, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett year, where they were, what, three of the top four recruits in the country, all going oh, yeah. down to Durham? That's ridiculous. Um, what does that do, Coach Kate leaving? Obviously, I think it will have some impact, but what kind of impact do you think it has? I think it will have an impact, and I think it should be noted that Duke already has a transition plan intact in when it's going to be a seamless transition of power and their top assistant will take over and it's going to be fine because while Krzyzewski's not there, it will still be Duke basketball. The only real way to quantify that is how many recruits do they get? How many will Kyle Filipowski go? Because you mentioned he is also on their radar. He is also one of their offers and they could really use him too. So, do they get him, right? And, and Filipowski, when he tours, is he going to be bummed out when Krzyzewski's not really there? Or he'll, he might be there, but he might not be leading that pitch because he's not going to be the coach if Filipowski goes. That's what it really comes down to. Is the program going to sell itself at this point? I think it will. I think Duke is Duke, and everyone that is going into their, their recruiting process has always grown up with 
Krzyzewski being the guy that's led the powerhouse, but the powerhouse is still there. Yeah, and I think you make a really great example with Filipowski in saying that he's going down to Duke. Um, does he care that much that Krzyzewski's probably not going to be that a part of his tour? Obviously, he was recruited by John Scher, who is going to replace Krzyzewski down in Durham, but what kind of impact does that have for a recruit saying, you know, the legendary coach that you've been looking up to isn't going to be here when you arrive? Um, and does that help other teams in the ACC, especially um, when that in, in terms of recruits that might land uh, elsewhere instead of Duke? And I think it's, that it is going to work out like that. Yeah, it's a question that's only going to be answered by what actually happens. But I think in the case of Filipowski specifically, John Scher taking over as the head coach can only help the Blue Devils' chances of landing Filipowski, you'd have to think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and here's the other thing that I think everybody has to keep in mind when talking about the Blue Devils. It's Duke basketball at the end of the day. It's not oh, yeah. just Coach K. I mean, Duke basketball is Duke basketball is Duke basketball. I think everybody, a lot of kids growing up have rooted for Duke. And, and I think, yeah, of course, Coach K not being there is a huge, huge part of why um, some might not go. But I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. I mean, I think maybe some recruits might not go there, but I think... A lot of people are going to want to play for the Blue Devils anyway. I think the other thing is, <laughs> if I'm a Duke fan, I'm almost more concerned about the transfer portal because everyone that's on the roster right now signed on to play for Coach Krzyzewski, right? And they will get that for one more year. But after that, are they really going to stick around for John Shire? They might. They might not. True. Everyone True. that, I didn't really that think comes to that. Duke from here on out knows full well that it's going to be John Shire. And good on Duke to get ahead of the ball right there, get ahead of the curve and say, hey, before any recruits question their their recruitment to Duke, just know we have a great guy in John Shire that probably should have been a head coach a long time ago. You think so? Uh, yeah, I mean, coming in, and he, is, he is widely respected amongst the recruiting community across the the country and also just the X's nose community. I'm looking right now at his at his recruits and he's the guy that recruited Zion Williamson. He's yep. the guy that recruited Cam Reddish. He's the guy that recruited Jason Tatum and Vernon mm-hmm. Carey. So there are a lot of reasons to be really excited about John Shine. Yeah, and I think for that reason especially that things might really not change. Uh down in Duke, I think and he's only plenty of recruits are going to be there. That's the other thing. Like, yeah, you know, he's a very young guy. This might actually be good because there, I'm sure there are recruits that were scared off by, ah, Krzyzewski's really old. And that doesn't mean that they would go to Syracuse over Duke because Bayheim's really old. But you mean to tell me that no recruit has ever been scared off by a head coach's age? Of course they have. That's one of the reasons that Jawan Howard and Brian Stevens, when, when he was coaching in college, were so just great at recruiting and so important for their programs because they're a younger voice, they're a fresher face that younger kids could just really relate to. Absolutely. All right, we got to hit a break here on Five Star Review. When we come back, we're going to be doing some fictional fizz, wrapping up with some fizz feedback. Stay with us for our last block.
Wrapping up shop on Fizz Radio, Matt Bonaparte with Brad Klein. Brad, we're going to hop into some fictional Fizz and then our Fizz feedback. Of course, fictional Fizz. I make up some fake betting lines. You tell me if you think it's an over or the under. Okay, are you ready? This is your first one. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I just want to say gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Go. (laughs) Okay, great. How many years does it take Syracuse men's lacrosse to win a national championship under Gary Gate? The line is set at three and a half years. I'm going to go the over. I'm going to go over. Okay. And first of all, let me just say, whoever, the bookie is spot on. Because I'm looking at three or four years. I'm going to go slightly over for two reasons. One, I don't think the roster as it's constructed right now is even close. So Gary Gate has to do a good job recruiting. I think he will. And then I'm going to go over just a little bit because didn't win a natty on the women's side. I know it's a completely different sport. So it's not really a fair critique, but since he didn't do it as a head coach before, I'm going to go over. Recruiting, of course, is is huge uh, for Gary Gay because the roster, as you said, is not geared towards a championship as of right now. But you do have Joey Spelina coming in next season, not this upcoming season for Syracuse lacrosse. Maybe he helps out. I, I'm also going to take the over on this one. I'm going to say it's about four or five years. Uh, all right, next one, we go over to some Syracuse football. Sean Tucker rushing touchdowns. I've got the line set at five and a half. Oh, He had man. four this year. Yeah, he had four. I'm definitely going under. Again, I'm kind of concerned wow. about the usage. I'm, Abdul Adams is going to get a lot of carries, a lot of carries. And then Jarvion so? Howard is going to get the goal line carry. So I kind of think that Howard might be poaching some touchdowns from Tucker. I see in my crystal ball, I see six for Sean Tucker. Okay. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna hit the over. I think he is going to be, you know, very good this season, but you do mention that Jarvion Howard's gonna get those goal line touches and that might really hinder Sean Tucker. What does that crystal case? ball right. tell you about Jacoby Spells? <laughs> I mean the crystal ball tells me Jacoby Spells will be a Miami hurricane. Oh, okay. Uh, this this upcoming football season. I mean, I'm sorry, it just will be. Um, all right, number three, our final line for the day until we get to Fizz feedback. Syracuse basketball wins. I've got the line set at 18 and a half. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. How many did they have last year? I believe they had 18. Oh, this bookie is really giving me a ride. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the over. Nah, nah, the wow. under. Under. No, no, over. Really? My final answer oh, is over. Here he goes. My He's final going back answer and forth. is over. And I think the roster give last year is here. significantly better than it will be this year. But Buddy Beheim missed a lot of time. He was not quite Buddy Beheim for as long as he should have been because of that missed time. And then you have Barama Sidibe coming back. That's a big deal. Jesse Edwards should be a lot better. Kadari Richmond, a big loss. Alan Griffin, a big loss. Quincy Garrier, a big loss. But I think they have 19 wins. Of course, they played less games this past season. They had 18 wins, 10 losses. I think that they'll finish the regular season above 18 wins. I think they'll have a 20-win year. I think this is going to be a solid Syracuse basketball team. I do think some of the talent has gone away. Obviously, lose Quincy Garrier, which is probably the biggest name that you lose uh, alongside with Marek Dolezal. But I think there's a lot of talent coming in that people are underrating. Of course, some pundits across the country are saying Syracuse could be a top 25 school in the nation. So there's that as well. Uh, I'm going to take the over on this one. All right. It is time to head over to Twitter. If you want to be included in Fizz feedback, make sure you head over to Twitter at Orange Fizz. 
we've got so much you know coverage and whatnot and head over to our website orangefizz.net to read all of our uh, all of our opinions brad i know you've got plenty of opinions over there yeah and we'll start with fizz feedback here so first how many games does tommy devito start for syracuse this season either none one to four or five to eight or he's just the quarterback the entire season bones what do you think fizz nation says I think that they'll go with I think that they're going to be an all or nothing thing because I think that if Fizz fans, you know, I think that they think that Dino loves DeVito and I think that's true. So I think that they think he'll start the whole season. Okay, well, I think that he'll go about 1 to 4. It, it's 1 to 4. 52% wow. of of Fizz Nation says wow. 1 to 4. And and to me that that's I would not have voted one to four because you're basically looking at an injury at that point, probably. I think five to eight makes sense because he's gonna start a lot of non cons to start the year, and even though it's a short leash, you'd have to think that against a team like Albany, it's not gonna be yanked on that much against a team like Albany. So I like DeVito's chances of starting into the ACC schedule. Alright, we go now to Coach K and his retirement. Does that end Duke's recruiting dominance, yes or no? Bones, your thoughts on what Fizz Nation has to say about this? I think that they'll say no just because Duke is huge. Um, But I think it's going to be close because, as we all know, Syracuse is not very fond of Duke, so they'd like to see it end. It's a 50-50 split, basically 47%. Yes, 53% no. I will say, mid-major Matt, with the, the comment of the century, though, says... As long as the bags filled with money keep coming, nah, nah, the recruiting stays. So, I, I like it. I like I, that was a that was a pretty savage comment and hints of Zion. Yeah, mid major Matt. So mid major <laughs> Matt for the win, right? All right, our final fizz feedback here. Last week we asked which athletic team would win the school's next national championship. Now that Gary Gate is the head coach of the men's team, we ask once again: Is it basketball? women's lacrosse men's lacrosse or other there are plenty of other teams last week they went with uh women's lacrosse this week i think they're going to follow gary gate so i think they're going to go men's lacrosse it is men's lacrosse 56 percent women's got 25 percent i don't know where people are coming from on basketball for 13 percent they were so much farther than their run for to the sweet 16 dictated i i just don't see it the, the two others that got some love, men's cross country and field hockey with Ange Bradley at the helm. But I don't know. Field hockey has a ways to go. I will say I would go for women's lacrosse because I know they don't have a coach and it's kind of hard to take a team without a head coach. But you're going to have Megan Carney and Emily Harris Chuck coming back. That's a loaded roster that is expecting to win a national championship. Yeah, between men's and women's lacrosse, I think it's pretty close. Obviously, a, a loss to BC kept Syracuse from from doing it on the women's circuit this year. But does men's lacrosse do it within the next five years? Brad, I think we both said that that is not necessarily likely, but it's plausible. Uh, but I think women's lacrosse, depending on who they hire as a coach, could definitely do it in that time Well, frame. depending on who they recruit to replace Asa Goldstock in the back of the net, I think even though men's could be coming up on on a national championship, maybe three to four years, women's could beat them to the punch. That's the thing. Yes, absolutely, and I I, I agree with you. I mean, men's basketball. Do you think they're gonna they're gonna do it? No, I, I don't think that's <laughs> gonna happen not. at all. Maybe 
maybe Jim Beheim has some uh, some fairy dust left, and he can just pull it out uh, this year. I don't know. Who see? I mean, does he retire soon? We don't really know. But maybe this this year with both his sons, he can get the job done. We will see. Only time will tell. All right. Well, Brad. This was a great time. Our first time on Orange Fizz Radio together. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.